For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball brought to you by RamShirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at RamShirts. Visit RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Uh, joining me on the show today for the second time, uh, he promised he would come back and he uh, followed through on that promise, so I do appreciate it. Uh, ben Ryder. Ben, thanks for coming back. Anytime, Rob. Thanks for having me back. All right, so I'll just tell you this. I listened to part two of episode six today, and for some reason it just threw me for a loop, and I, I don't know how to explain that, but I, I kind of like had an idea in my head, the conversation that we would have, but, but after listening to that, I guess I was kind of confused a little. And this is what, okay, and this is what I mean by it. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. Okay, you, you started the podcast for a reason, right? And you're trying to find an answer to what? What, what was your answer you're trying to find out? I was trying to find out all of the different factors that contributed to the Astros sign-stealing scheme <clears throat> and the scandal as well, right? Why this thing blew up the way it did, why it happened, who's to blame, what is to blame, what factors in baseball are all combined in this explosive chemical compound that was the Astros sign-stealing scandal. So that was my goal with this podcast. Did you uh, – so So let me ask you this. Is the final episode, like, the results and the answer of your quest? I want people to listen to it, right? And I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, what the reactions are. I would say that the specific answers to the, the Astros story, I think, are wrapped up in some measure, in the first part of the finale, right? A episode six, part one, I think that story doesn't come to a complete conclusion, but the specific factors, and I list five of them at the end, uh, that after my many months of investigating, after my many interviews, combined specifically to make this happen in the Astros clubhouse and in the Astros organization. In the second part, of the finale, I branch out, I pull back the lens into the broader landscape, 
landscape of Major League Baseball, and even in some measures into the modern landscape of business in the 21st century to shine light on how modern technologies, modern business strategies are sometimes resulting in scandals like this and how they've worked their way into Major League Baseball in particular and how all those things combine to uh, lead to things like what happened in Houston. I like the way you <clears throat> excuse me. I like the way you started out the final episode talking about uh, what is his name? Stephen Cohen, the guy yes. that just bought the Mets. And you talked about how, you know, he was he was the head honcho. He was the the leader of the of the business, the boss. And he had these guys, you know, doing all these illegal things, you know, illegal insider trading and all this different stuff. I guess that's what you call it. You know, they would find out reasons uh, to buy stocks or whatever, and he would make money off of it. And then he, you know, everything hit the fan, you know, without saying the bad word. And the people under him were the ones that paid the price, not him. And that is exact. and I'm sure that's what you're going with or going for, but that's what happened with the Astros. Uh, Jim Crane is the the boss, the big boss, and the only people that got in trouble are the people under him. And he bought a club for, I guess, $580 million, and I think you said it's worth a couple of billion now. And uh, so it's so it's just that's kind of the result of it. It seems like I mean, not the total result, but I found it interesting that that uh, what happened with the Astros is kind of the a reflection of what happened with Steve Cohen's uh, business. Yeah, I mean, as I was looking at these stories, these parallel stories, the resonances between them were very strong. And, and let's be clear, Rob, this doesn't absolve the people who were committing the crimes or who were responsible for the crimes of anything, right? I mean, the the trader or the portfolio manager who worked for Steve Cohen went to jail for nine years, right? Jeff Luno has suffered a significant penalty for his team sign stealing. And this is not to absolve him of that either. But part of it is to look at where does the culture of an organization come from? And I think if you talk to anybody, the leader of the organization, the owner of the organization, is largely responsible or significantly responsible for that culture. He derives much of the benefit from the results of this culture, whether you're Steve Cohen and you become one of the richest people in America or you're Jim Crane and your asset value of the team, you know, quadruples, maybe even quintuples um, in a period of a decade. But you don't seem to face consequences in America. In fact, you're explicitly absolved of any part of this, uh, at least according to the commissioner's report. So part of my mission here was to interrogate that idea and to weigh whether that's actually right and reasonable uh, and whether somebody who owns an organization 
should bear some responsibility, some accountability for when his organization does wrong. And Luna was the only one that out of all of these people involved that, I guess besides Taubman, but he's the only one that's involved that no longer has a job. If you look at uh, Cora, he got hired right away. A.J. Hinch had an interview with Detroit 30 minutes. I guess they set, I, they set up 30 minutes after the World Series ended. And so, you know, Luno is the only one that's without a job, and he's also the only one willing to talk to you about this. Everybody else declined comments. But another thing that I found very interesting about this story is the uh, story you're talking about Manfred and the uh, the story about the job of commissioner. And you had the other guy, what was Faye Vincent? Faye Vincent? Right. Faye Vincent was the commissioner of baseball between 1989 and 1992. He's on the podcast. So the – like Manfred, me as a baseball fan, and I appreciate you doing this, and me as a baseball fan – I have the impression that he is working for us. He's trying to keep the game clean. He's trying to do everything for us. But what it seems like now, after listening to the last part, is that, I mean, it is true. He works for the owners, and I found it very interesting, and I I didn't even think about this when it first came out. You know, right away, he's like, Jim Crane didn't know anything. Right. Look, and I spoke with Maury Brown. I interviewed him on this episode of the podcast that we're talking about, who's somebody who's been covering the business of baseball for 20 years, right? He knows how baseball works as a journalist inside and out. And look, one of my main goals for this podcast was just to shine a light on all of these dynamics and on all of these things and show them as they really are. Now, you as a listener are free to decide what you think, you know, what what you think about Jeff Luno's role in this. You know, if you care that the commissioner of baseball really in practical ways reports to the owners, right? I mean, he's described himself as more of a CEO, and who are the board members? It's the owners. The owners are the ones who hire him. They're the ones who fire him. That's just how it works. And in some ways, that's how it's always worked. But I think it's important for listeners and for fans and for everybody to know that. And then you can decide what you think or if you care, right, or or how this impacted uh, the, uh, the Astro Sign Ceiling scandal and the fallout. But really, like shining a light on all of these different power structures and influences, I thought was an important part of my task here. So one thing I want to tell you is I, I said it the last time we talked. The podcast is awesome. It may, maybe I was thinking as an Astro fan, like we're going to find out some some crazy insider scoop about the cheating. And it kind of ended differently, but it still ended great. Uh, so, so let me ask you about this. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to say too before this, if if anybody when they listen to the to the podcast is, I always looked at Jim Crane as like a good old boy, like a really really nice guy, 
And when you talked about the things that he did within his businesses, like his hiring practices and things that he would say, I was I was pretty shocked by that. No, I mean, Jim Crane has had a very well-documented history of allegations of wrongdoing. And this played a role in the process for when he was trying to buy the team back in 2011. Um, and I get into that history in the podcast. And again, you know, listeners can decide if they care or if what they really care about is that the Astros are good now, which is fine, too. But, you know, I think it's important as a journalist for people to be aware of these things. So let's talk about the process of you making this podcast. Did you because I, I thought you had recorded everything at once, but the last episode, you were kind of up to date on current events. So I guess my question is, did did you do all of the research and then record the episodes or were you recording them as you were gaining information? It's kind of an organic process. As I said, we've been working on it for eight months. So there was a long research phase and a long interviewing phase, um, you know, writing phase of these things. And then as the weeks went on, you know, we had a, a, a f several of them done before the first ones dropped in early October. And then as the weeks went on, we kind of continued to make them. And we were making the last one, as you heard, because it references some very current events up until this week. So that's that's really how it went. It was it was, it was not like we closed all of these things before the first one dropped. We continued to make the show right up until, you know, pretty close to the time that the last episode dropped. So did you have plans to do six episodes and it almost turned into seven? Is that why uh, number six has two parts? Is there a reason behind it having two parts? You know, th the truth of it is we got to episode six and we realized that we had more story to tell. Mm -hmm. and, and then we thought to tell it in a rich and fulfilling way that wouldn't cheat listeners um, had to be a two-parter. And... You know, I think it I think it worked out well for the structure of the series, because, as I said, I do think that in some ways, part one, the end of part one represents one ending. And then part two broaches out into all these different uh, different sort of issues that that interplay with everything else in the series. I'm interested, Rob, what what threw you for a loop in the second part? <laughs> it seems to me like you, you uh, it connected pretty well with you. No, I mean what what uh what threw me for a loop is is that uh I guess I was just expecting to have questions like I like I did last time and then when I when I heard this last one it was it just changed like what I wanted to talk about like I was going to ask <laughs> you about that's what I mean by a loop like I was going to ask you about Tony Adams and how you know, how emotional he got. He took a little slack on Twitter uh, for being emotional. You know, they said that's what they wanted. They wanted the Astros to cry on the podcast. And, you know, they, they wanted you to feel remorse. But, you know, like it said on the letter for from uh, Manfred, it said this is a wide league issue. And 
some some of us don't agree with Tony Adams what he said about I'm no longer proud of this. I mean, I'm proud of it. I know they cheated, but I I I highly doubt, and I, I want your opinion on that. I highly doubt, and it's already noted that the that there were two other teams in 2017 that got uh, fined for doing illegal stuff, but they weren't the only ones doing it. And the uh, Evan Gaddis podcast, he said, hey, we're just trying to keep up with everybody. I mean, everybody was, uh, what do you call it? They were uh, suspicious of everybody else. They were paranoid. So you don't think the Astros are the only ones doing it, do you? No. I don't think that the Astros were the only ones who were breaking the rules, the rules being to use technology to steal signs. I think probably if you could reveal what every team was doing in 2017, there's a good chance that technically I'm ballparking here, but more than half the league would be a conservative estimate of teams that could be judged to have broken that rule. Now, is it possible or is it probable even that the Astros went pretty significantly far beyond what any other team was doing with the trash can thing. I think it is, you know, some people have described to me, described it to me as look, okay, everybody's speeding, you know, you're in a 65, everybody's going 75, some are going 80. The Astros are like the sports car burning down the left lane at a hundred. Right. So then you're like, okay, well, they all broke the rules and that's true. But I think we see, in particular with the reaction of the other players around the league, the straight-up rage and anger, that it does seem like the Astros were pushing this far beyond what other teams were doing, far beyond the norms and the ethics of baseball. And they've certainly been held accountable for that. Now, I hear the argument. You could say everybody's cheating. The Astros were cheating. So what? That's one argument. But if you're cheating worse than other teams... There might be significance to that, too. And, you know, I I think that's what Tony Adams in my interview with him in episode four was responding to and why he said that. And I'm sure he's not alone among Astros fans that that 2017 championship, which came after Houston had been devastated by Hurricane Harvey, which had come after 56 years of waiting, why he'll never look at it in quite the same way and why and why he thought at least he thought at the time when I spoke to him that those rings were tarnished see a lot of fans from other teams they have this impression that the fans of the Astros embrace cheating and the truth is we just get tired of hearing it <laughs> i mean we we know they did it i was upset i mean i was sick to my stomach when i found out you know, when John Boy was doing all the videos, when when it first came out, trash can, they're banging the trash can. It sounded ridiculous. It's like there's no way they're doing it, and they were. So what I'm saying is there is a possibility that other people were taking it to the level the Astros were, but the Astros, for some reason, decided to use a crude, you know, manner of banging on a trash can that could be found out. And the only difference is also is that they had a rat. You know, they had someone tell on them. And I, I do agree. I mean, there's no proof anyone did anything worse than they did. And uh, I don't know. But we're not proud of it. You know, you just take you take the bad guy role just because you get tired of hearing of it. You know, I mean, we did it. We're sorry. Let's move on. But people will not let 
the Astros move on, and I'm sure it's going to carry on to next year because there are no fans. So I'm pretty sure it's going to get worse. Yeah, and I get into that. You know, some people are saying, oh, the Astros got off. They got lucky because of the pandemic meant that stadiums were empty, so they didn't have to face the fury and the rage of fans across America. You know, I, I think that just means it's going to be delayed a year or until whenever fans get back in the ballpark. And I think that, you know, those rings, as people say in my series, they'll always be tarnished, right? Like, the actual acute offense will probably smooth out a little bit as history goes on. But this is something that will always be associated with the 2017 Astros in some way. And, you know, fans obviously can look at that or deal with that however they want, think it's fair, think it's unfair. But uh, that's probably going to be how it is, you know, unless yeah. unless some sweeping specific evidence that, like, every team or many other teams, or at least the good teams, were doing something very, very similar fundamentally. And if I had to put money on that coming out, I don't think it will. And if I had to put money on that happening, that there were actually teams taking it to this level, crossing the edge that the Astros did, I probably wouldn't put money on that either. Yeah, so I personally, myself, I'm a little outspoken about the Astros. And I agree 100% that the, the Astros championship is tarnished. There's, I've never denied that. I've never said it wasn't. And but but here's one thing that that really shocked me, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Uh, not only did AJ Hinch get hired, but the Red Sox hired. They they had their own scandal, and both guys that got suspended, they hired them back right away. How shocked are you about that? I'm not shocked by that. Why aren't you shocked? <laughs> I was about to tell you. I was just gathering my thoughts. I think um, both A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora are different than Jeff Luno, right? Like, Jeff Luno came into the game as an outsider, as an unabashed agent of change, somebody who upset baseball orthodoxy, did it differently, was not shy about what he was doing differently, and it actually worked, right, which is even more annoying to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wasn't so concerned with making friends around the game, right? He almost relished in some ways not making friends, being an outlier. Very different from A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora, both of whom are former major leaguers, both of whom are broadly liked and respected across the game, and both of whom have proven that they can take a team to a title in the clubhouse. Like I think all of those factors significantly outweighed this mistake that both of them made. Hinch having known about the sign-stealing schemes, the two schemes, mm-hmm. Cora having been in the middle of them. Um, at the end of the day, that that's overridden by all those other factors that I just mentioned. And I should also say that, look, they served a penalty, right? Like, yeah, it seems kind of shocking that they got back so fast after their suspensions elapsed. As you said, A.J. Hinch got a call from the Tigers 30 minutes after the final out of the World Series, he said. But that was a real suspension. A significant, a year ban from baseball with no pay 
is significant. So if you believe in the concepts of rehabilitation and reform and, okay, you, you do a crime, you do your penalty, and then you go on with your life, I think that their paths comport pretty well with that. So what the question was, I think I, I think I read it too fast, but I was, I was talking about the Red Sox, how they let Cora and the replay guy go, and then they hired him right back. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really surprised that somebody hired Hinch back, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the Red Sox, you know, it was kind of like, like a middle finger to everybody in a way, you know, like these guys, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think a lot of people are surprised that that uh, they just hired him right back like it was no big deal. Yeah, I mean, I thought, Rob, and this is not based on talking with anybody with the Red Sox or anything, but when they announced those five candidates to be the Red Sox manager again and you saw Alex Cora's name in there, you're like, are they? Are you going to say they're considering it and then not do it, right? Are they going to not rehire this manager who's beloved in Boston and who won, won a ring in 2018. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised as far as it being a middle finger. No, I mean, I don't think that's part of the motivation, at least. I don't think they're trying to show everybody. I just think their decision is, okay, our guy paid his penalty. Our organization, by many accounts, got off pretty lightly for our own sign-stealing scheme, which also, by all accounts, was much less extreme, much less brazen than what the Astros did. And uh, we're going to bring him back and move on because we think we think he gives us the best chance of winning, and that's what we're here for. Yeah, the Red Sox uh, crimes, I guess they were a lot less than the Astros. But what's what's surprising to me is that, you know, they had the – Apple Watch thing in 2017, and then they, they, uh, I guess the replay guy that was 18 when that happened. Yeah, and it's and, just, and so so yeah. they they do something two years in a row, and then like here's a question that everybody has: If Cora was doing, if him and Beltron were the masterminds of the banging on a trash can scheme. They win the World Series, and then Beltron, not Beltron, but Cora, goes to the Red Sox. He he's already answered this question. He said, "Well, I, I just don't think we needed to do it." But why? I mean, if he if they didn't get caught, and this also goes with the Astros. I mean, they didn't get caught for a while, except with Farquhar. I think they were kind of like scared that you know they were on to him. But like, what what would keep Cora from carrying that on to Boston? but finding a different way to signal the guy instead of a trash can. I don't really have an answer to that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've, I've been personally surprised that the Red Sox penalties ended up the way they did. And as I say in the podcast, it kind of felt like a de-escalation, you know, an attempt to be like, okay, we're winding down this as a topic in baseball it's been a fun winter <laughs> obviously not fun uh but you know what i mean it's been an interesting winter but okay we're, we're ready to move on from this so we're going to de-escalate this and uh move on maybe that was part of it that's what that's certainly what it felt like but yeah i mean and also 
<laughs> why did why did the Astros scheme stop in 2018? The code breaker scheme, which by the way was very very similar to what the Red Sox did, right? Like it's yeah. essentially what the Red Sox did. They essentially did code breaker, although I don't know about they didn't have the actual program. But as far as hacking signs off replay feeds and then sending them in through the dugout to second base, that's that's what they did. Which by baseball norms is not the type of felony that the trash can part of it was. So that's a differentiation there. But, yeah, I mean, look, Cora was gone in 2018. Beltran was gone in 2018. Did that contribute to why the program petered out, as well as, as we know, the fact that other teams are starting to get really suspicious of the Astros and changing their signs constantly and kind of doing everything everything they could to defend it? Maybe. Yeah, so the Astros' penalties, they lost two draft picks, and... I know it's pretty bad, but four, you know, I guess four draft picks, right? Yeah, two a year, first and second. Right. And uh, you know, but they have international. You know, some people don't want them to sign international people. They're already pretty stacked. You know, it might hurt a few years down the line. But they, you know, a lot of people are upset that they pretty much got away with it, and that seems like it. You know, like Manfred, you know, works for the teams. And do you think there's any chance at all? This is a like a conspiracy theory that I have because everybody thinks the Astros are the are the fall guys of the cheating scandal. You, you think there's any way they said, "Hey, like you're going to be the fall guy, but you're going to keep your championship." I'd be entirely speculating on that. Um, you know, Jeff Luna, as we know, fired, filed a suit against the Astros in court this week, uh, which I didn't know about. I read with great interest, of course. Mm-hmm. And he basically comes out and says that, or his lawyers do, in the petition that he filed with district court in Harris County, saying that it was a negotiated settlement. The investigation was a negotiated settlement between Jim Crane and Rob Manfred, um, basically to do what you say, Right. I don't know about that. I I don't know. I've seen no evidence of that. I've heard no substantiation of that. The lawsuit doesn't offer any. It'll be really interesting to see if the suit goes forward, which is very unlikely by all accounts, uh, what may come out about that. But that's certainly the theory that Luno is putting forward about how all this thing came down. All right, Ben, you promised me 30 minutes and we are hitting that mark right now. Uh, I apologize that I wasn't as ready as I was last time, but like I said, I, I I got on the computer to write questions, and I just kept deleting them, and that's kind of why I said I was all messed up. I, I just didn't know what to ask you because I was just thrown for a loop. And uh, But anyway, I appreciate you coming back on again. Hey, man. I, look, Rob, I really appreciate it. And that was really part of my goal with this podcast, not to confuse people, obviously, <laughs> but to raise all these questions that – are related to the actual trash can banging and the code breaker and to explore all the different ways this stuff might have come about and what it says about the culture of baseball, the nature of the industry, and the way the power works in the industry and where all this might be going. So uh, it's naughty stuff. It's all knotted up, but uh, I think it's all worth looking into, and that's certainly what I tried to do. Okay, well, I hope you didn't take anything I said wrong. 
Like I said, the, <laughs> no, the podcast no chance, is no awesome. Chance. The podcast is really good. I support you as much as I can on Twitter, sharing it and talking <laughs> about it and having you on. So hopefully you know that I really did enjoy it. And, Amen. and uh, I was I, just kind of confused a little. I, I appreciate that. And if you didn't, if you hated it, that would be well within your right as well to say that, man. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to have uh, an open conversation however you want to run it. All right, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks to Ben for coming on again, and thanks for RamShirts.com for uh, sponsoring the show. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot, Ben. Take care, Rob. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.